Welcome to System Mastery, the podcast that beats dead horses 1d6 damage on a time. On today's episode, we return to one of our favorite wells of all, the fabled game that is clearly an OSR game, but OSR people won't admit it because the game sucks. Well, with Oprah's blessing, we're ready to send our desires out into the world because this is the secret fire, and my vision board is burning in the backyard. It's System Mastery. It's now dawning on me, John, that I don't know which is older, this book or the references to the secret that I put up in the, uh, in the I don't intro. know. How long has the secret been around? I, well, you'll see ancient scribes once described the secret thusly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because I, I mean, I, I'm sure the concept of the secret or like the pseudo scientific woo bullshit that it is, is older than its famous appearance on Oprah. Yeah. But I don't know when that particular famous appearance was. I do know this book is from 2011. The Secret. Originally published 2006. Oh, okay. So my reference is older than this book. Yeah. Huh. So that's fine. Okay. That's fine. All right. That's good. Good. I'm happy with that. How are you? Oh, I'm so fine. You feel so elated? I'm good mm. and great and lovely. Good. Glad to hear it. And I'm also doing wonderful. And I'm Jeff, and that's John. And this is System Mastery. You know what this is. You know. And you know that we're doing the Secret Fire. Secret Fire. I'm going to do way less preamble than usual this week because uh, I have like 15 pages of notes. God bless this delicious treat that has been given us. <laughs> it is just a, a blessing from the Lord above that we get to read this book that is... You know, <laughs> I don't want to paint all the OSR people with the same brush. No, and, and honestly, the OSR has gotten a lot better in the last five or six years. But there are people out there that are just handing out brushes as loudly as possible. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, my notes actually start with, uh, my first note is, this book opens extremely uh, assertive, not especially combative, but boy, is it ever like, coming out the, the gate swinging with a, with a mission statement. I sent you a message real early when I started reading it that was like, I feel like you could replace the first 10 pages of this book with just all caps, I am an OSR guy, please respect me, I am an OSR guy, and it would not change the effective flavor of reading the first few pages. Well, I mean, the foreword in this, which I love, mm -hmm. is just the main writer being like, it's a fucking I was story. I was like nine years old and I had just gone trick or treating. And then my older brother said I couldn't watch the adventures of Ichabod Crane. I had to play D and D and it was magical. And I'm like, yeah, cause you were nine. Yeah. It's, he was 11 years old. He was sitting down with his friend to watch Disney's own, the tale, the, the adventures of Ichabod Crane, which I would rather do than play D and D in 1979. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> Um, Have you seen that? It's great. <laughs> it's a jam. That is a fun movie. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, it, it literally opens with, I was 11. The game was really good. Now I'm in my 50s. The game isn't good anymore. I'm going to make the game like it was when I was 11. There are, I want to say, not, I'm not even going to say most, but mm -hmm. there are a lot of people that I feel in the OSR that have that same sort of like, boy, this game used to fill me with wonder and joy, and I bet it's because it had T 
tables for finding the slope of a dungeon and not because I was 12. Did I get older? No, no. It's the addition that is wrong. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, look, I had the very first time I played a role-playing game, I was like 13 and I played Rifts and I had the exact same thing mm -hmm. where I was like, holy shit, this is, I didn't realize you could do that. But guess what? Then you realize it does that, and then you grow up and you're like, I don't have an imagination or joy in my life anymore. Basically, every time I have to read one of these books, it's like when you find those people who think that music stopped being good when they turned to 15. Yeah. Like, that's the exact limit. That that, that thing where you're like, oh, I'm just going to allow myself to get old, because now I'm spending the rest of my life being curmudgeonly about modern music. Yeah. There's, you turn I 30 like, and you're just like, I hate any music that happens ever from now. I like what I like, and I'll never like anything new. Yeah. And- the fact that they're like, oh, it's not that I hate new editions. It's just it doesn't capture that joy like wonder. I'm like, that's, again, joy like wonder is a part of being a child. Yeah. Hey, if you're in your 40s like me, check out Dua Lipa. She rules. It's, <laughs> it's great. It's, it's a great way to stay young, okay? Just putting that out there. Uh, but yeah, it's literally opens with a declarative statement that I will make games like they were when you and I were 12. Yep. Which is... Oh, boy. Also, we've got multiple... I mean, okay, let's just lay out the bona fides for, this, for what kind of game this is. And maybe this is because you and I become kind of connoisseurs of game writing, and you can, we can kind of suss out what a book's going to be in the first ten pages or so. But I feel like promising an interesting Moldvay quote later in the book, making multiple references to Gary Gygax as the great one, the great author, and the legendary one himself... <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird to me as well when they're like, oh, yeah, let's just try and suck as much Gygax cock as possible. Mm -hmm. And then they immediately start going like because they want to say, look, this ain't D&D, &D, buddy. Yeah. Like, but you've just been like you spend an entire page going. Gygax was my lord and savior and he hold he gave us the holy testament and I want to do that again. But let me tell you, D&D &D sucks ass and here's why. Well, I mean, I'm pretty sure he means old D&D or new D&D &D sucks ass. But even he's then like, he's like, let's be clear. This isn't a war game and I'm like, yeah, well, the original D&D &D was, so <laughs> the fuck you doing here, buddy? I'll, I'll tell you the one thing in the intro to this book that I got wrong when I was reading through it was uh the Moldvay quote that he promises. He says like uh Oh, uh, you may prefer to have some miniatures. Miniatures have always been an optional component of all role-playing games. And if you don't believe me, turn to page 163 for a Tom Moldvay quote I think you'll find very illuminating. And I was like, oh, okay. So this is one of those guys who's mad that, like, 4th edition D&D &D is explicitly a minis game, and he's going to have a quote about how they're, like, the theater of the mind is the most important thing. But no, he the quote from Moldvay in the back of the book is like, hell yeah, use miniatures. It's great. Yeah, so it's so weird because he wants to be like, yeah, this is about role playing and being a character and then being a player. You got to be part of the game. You want to immerse yourself within yeah. it. And then like has like that quote that's just like, yeah, dude, you should probably use miniatures. They're fucking useful and great. <laughs> yeah, there's a and then the uh, the opening chapter ends on a couple of quotes. And one of them is a Gygax quote that's basically like quit writing rules and go play a game yeah which i feel like is more uh gygax trying to kill competition than anything else well it's like hey please stop trying to write rules you're cutting into my private my, my income flow i had to dress my daughter up in a bikini to sell one of the monster manuals ah <laughs> true facts look it up true facts uh and then the other quote is gygax 
uh, vociferously declaring that online role playing will never be any good, no matter what. <laughs> and I say that in the future, no one will be using these computers. By the time that that quote, he, he put published that quote in this book, Gygax had already lent his voice to a number of guest adventures in the Dungeons and Dragons online MMO. Yeah, well. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, the, uh, one of the biggest hard on the sleeve things we get out of the intro from this book is a big declaration that this is going to be a game about player intelligence and player logic. He doesn't want to hear shit about how smart your character is. If you can't personally figure out the puzzle and argue with the king, you're doing it wrong and your character deserves to die. Um, he says that the modern treatment of being able to just roll skills to know things is, uh, (laughs) killing the industry and making games bad where they used to be good. Yeah, of course they are. Anything I don't like is obviously killing the industry. That's important to know. And then he just sort of, in the, what is a role-playing game section, he just sort of meanders off into describing what role-playing should look like, but it's so specific. It's really weird. He's like, he's like. The few hours before adventuring should be spent as if they may be the character's last. You should go drink drinks and utter prayers and make love and get in fun brawls. And like, what are you talking? Go to a tavern. And like, well, I mean, that's that's the role playing experience. You should just do fun. Why are you describing it as if every RPG session should be the same shit? (laughs) Go to a tavern. Find the party. Punch a a half orc. (laughs) Great. Thanks. (laughs) All right. Um. So we get a couple of stories and hints here about upcoming role-playing game mechanics that you're going to see in this book. Uh, He's very proud of an alignment system that is in here, uh, which is supposed to give you some powers or or, uh, keywords that you're going to be constantly tempted by the other alignments. But I'm going to be honest with you, when you find it, it's the fucking nine-point alignment grid. Oh, yes. He just changed it to bubbles instead of tic-tac-toe. Yeah, so the... (laughs) The game kind of hinges on uh, energy points as being the, like, carrot on the end of the stick that you're trying to get. That is the other one, yeah. And that's part of the alignment system, because you don't go, hey, I'm just, like, chaotic neutral and that's me forever. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, if you take a chaotic action, you'll move along the chaos line and... If you take an evil action, you'll get more evil. And this is supposed to be not just like the MC, which is the DM of this game, uh, the MC declaring that like, oh, I'm sorry, you did a chaotic thing. You take one shift towards chaos. Instead, it's supposed to be like an ongoing, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Argument or or uh, discussion where you'll say things like, okay, I would like to, to, uh, to kill that guy, even though that would be an evil act. I will let you shift me two squares towards evil, but I want 15 energy points. And the DM or the MC is supposed to respond with three squares towards evil and 10 energy points. Well, yeah, it's it's a weird negotiation that they put That's in the, the game. Thank you. Yes. Uh, where to start, it's sort of the way like the bonus points or the, you know, any of the bennies or the brownie points or whatever from any game work mm-hmm. where your game master is going to be like, hey, if you do whatever that's detrimental, I'll give you a benefit. Yeah. And it uses energy points for that in this, but it also uses that to be like, if you specifically try and be the way that you are, then you'll get some, but fewer. It seems weird because they're like, well, because you're supposed to, he's, he's one of those people who is obsessed with paladin fall. 
Oh, yeah. He's like, oh, I want to tempt the players. Yes. He thinks that that is the ultimate expression of role playing is to tempt the players to act against their natures and then laugh at them as they as they make their own bed. But it's so weird that he's like, ah, yes, if you have someone and they're good and you're like, ah, but you always have a descriptor in each of the various things. So you have a good descriptor Mm -hmm. and an evil descriptor and so on. Yeah, there's a there's chart. It's just a random role. You're just like, oh, I'm uh." My my good descriptor is that I'm forthright. My my neutral descriptor is that I'm rolls dice, uh, uh, suspicious. And my evil one is that I am greedy. And then they're like, "Ooh, uh, if you the player steal this amulet and not tell anyone that you have taken it because you are greedy, I'll give you ten energy points. But if you're like, no, I'm not going to do that because I'm I'm a good player. Like I'm way in the good of this alignment. They're like, ah, I see you're playing." as your character here's two energy points and like <laughs> what this isn't encouraging role-playing it's encouraging dumb bullshit it completely is encouraging dumb bullshit ultimately everything we get in the first two chapters which are the introduction to the game and the overview of what how the game works and the expectations that he has in writing and how the people people play the game is wrong all of it there's a whole part where he's like it's all about player skill. All of this is about your ability to read the world that you're you're encountering and say DM, what do I see and then react to that of information accordingly. Every mechanic in this game is rolled behind the D- the MC's uh table screen. It's random and it's got it's usually weighted against the players. Yeah. The ultimate player skill expression in this game is to find ways to either never let the MC roll anything or to just not play. <laughs> Those are the two ways to win. It's <laughs> It's got a lot of assumptions about the way that people will play and mm-hmm. want to play. And I mean, the the game wants to make these declarative statements about like, I hate how nowadays you just say, I'll swing a sword and do 10 damage. <laughs> what I should God. be doing is saying, I use my muscular strength and slash the goblin with my longsword garms tooth and land a serious blow for 10 damage. There's a fucking Mad Libs at the back of this book it, it, for how this works. He makes a big, in the second chapter, the expectations chapter, we get this whole thing laid out about how, um, you know, it's not fun to just say, I attack, I do five damage. It's way more fun to describe a big, uh, describe it in a big, bold way. Anyway, here's how you do it. Here's how you assemble that sentence. And the thing is, it, it's, I, I've got the, the, the tag right here. Using my ability descriptor, ability, I land, inflict a damage descriptor, blow, fireball, etc., and additional energy point effects occur. Yes. And it's just supposed to do that every time. And ability descriptor, that's the first thing he gets into. He's like, this is the big code you need to know. There's a code for damage and a code for for your ability. So, for example, if you have, like, a six strength, then you are a feeble person. So, you, so that means you say, using my feeble ability, strength, I, then you're supposed to say your own name, which is supposed to be long and convoluted, yep. Garmon, holder of the black blade of nighttime and slayer of the dread puppy of Cambar. Uh, <laughs> inflict a serious fireball and knock down the goblin. Yeah. Because that last bit's the energy point effect you're spending. But here's the funny thing. There's a damage descriptor. So, like, for example, uh, 6 to 10 damage, that's a serious wound. 11 to 15, that's a staggering wound. See, you're supposed to say, I inflict a serious blow. But then you're also supposed to say how much it is for eight damage. Yeah. <laughs> Because you still need to know. Because it's still important. It's, it's a That's useless the game. code. 
<laughs> Hello, Mr. Thompson. You know what? Also, one of the one of the more messed up things about the whole like Mad Lib descriptor thing is yeah, is you only get a descriptor if you are in a range that is below nine or above twelve. So if you're between nine and twelve, if mm-hmm. you're an average whatever, you don't have a descriptor. Yeah, so you just say using my strength. Yeah, using so my you, normal strength. <laughs> I swing a sword normally at a person. <laughs> And the whole thing with this, like, descriptor thing was supposed to be, oh, when I first read it, it was like, oh, if you've got a low, you know, strength, you're feeble. You're, you, that's, that's your whole thing. But if you play to that, if you, you know, role play as being like, okay, you know, there's some puzzle. And I thought it was going to be everyone has the exact same chance of doing whatever. But Mm -hmm. if I, you know, say, oh, I, you know, try to push against a block and I can't and, you know, I ask for someone to help me like, oh, here's some energy points because mm-hmm. you're role playing your descriptor. No, no. I mean, you still have the stat adjustments of negative or positive one to three. Yeah. But also, <laughs> if I have a 10, <laughs> I'm like, oh, I don't have a descriptor. Oh, well, you just lose the opportunity to gain energy points then. <laughs> I If I role play as, hey, I'm an average guy. I don't get energy points because I don't have a descriptor. I mean, you do. You just leave that space blank. You say using my ability descriptor, none ability. So using no, my I'm, I'm strength saying during regular role playing. No, I know. I, I I know where you're coming from. But ultimately, any idea that this is anything beneficial or new to bring to the game is stripped away the moment you read how it works. What it actually is is just that the author of this book was real pissy that people kept describing their attacks wrong. In games he was playing at conventions and stuff, they'd be like, uh, I swing, does a 15 hit? Great, I do 12 damage, and I inflict stun. And he was like, this will not stand. I cannot deal with this. Instead, This wh- doesn't make me feel all tingly like when I was 11. But if I say, using my, uh, <laughs> using my strengthly fuse, I inflict a, a staggering blow from my mighty axe, and I, Garmin Arnar... Uh, leader of the free peoples of Gazubia, uh, also knock the orc down. And uh, and then I think he didn't continue to think through whether or not that would be interesting to hear every time you hit yeah. in a game where the only thing to do is fight. Uh, like Because you think, I'm going to get rid of that. I'm going to get bored of this in one. It's going to take one time of me saying that out loud. And the next time I'm going to be like, uh, I hit for 12. Yeah, I hit for 12 and I'm going to spend uh, uh, an EP to knock him down. <laughs> Because that is what is going to happen immediately at your table. That is the reality of role-playing games. I get that everyone wants everyone to describe the game like, I don't know, some scare tactic thing they made for role-playing games in the 80s where, where you're like, I am the dungeon master and I control reality and all things pass through me. But no one's actually like that. No. And trying to enforce it, trying to enforce people to act like they're in some 80s movie is the dumbest thing. No, because people are going to immediately find, all right, uh, what what do I need to do? What's the shortest path yeah. to conveying the information so that we can continue playing? I would like to actually, and you would really like to speed the game up and continue playing. Because one of my favorite little foibles of this game is that spells have real-time durations. God bless them. We'll get there. We'll get there. I'm just pointing that out. No, the and the descriptor thing, again, to come back to it, with, <sighs> there's, of course... That horrible fucking discourse thing of like, oh, well, having a low stat is fine because then you get more role plays. Uh, that comes up immediately. There's even in the intro where he's like, don't because it's 3d6 
down the line. It's not down the line. It's 3D6 arranges desired. Well. But it's not 4D6 drop low or anything. It's 3D6 arranges desired to six stats, which just happen to look exactly like D&D stats, except, and this is one of my favorite things. When I was going through this with my OSR lens, I was thinking back to every time we've talked about one of these type of games in the past, like the Heartbreakers. Yeah. And I was like, it's funny how they always rename agility, wisdom, uh, charisma. No one ever thinks to rename strength. No. no one ever changes it to, I don't know, brawn or, or a vigor or something like that. It's and, and here we have it. They rename four of the other ones, strength is strength. No, man, we get, I think, three are the same and three are different. Yes, yeah. So we get strength, in- intellect, and wisdom get well, to stay the same. Yeah, intelligence changes to intellect, but man. I mean, that's kind of a slant rhyme, yeah. Uh, and then dex to agility, con to health, and then charisma, charisma to presence. To presence, yeah. Uh, but it, I'm just—it's not super important. I just find it funny that that's basically—if I had a heartbreaker bingo, it would be synonyms for the D and D stats, but not for strength. Would be one of my boxes. But the what I was trying to get at is with the descriptors. I thought before I saw that it was still just an adjustment to your score for what you roll. Yeah, that it was going to be. There's nothing. You just have descriptors, and so the whole like oh. this is a a thing for role playing to finally be like. Yeah, I enforce that. There literally is no difference between, mechanically, someone with a strength of 3 and someone with a strength of 16, but if you roleplay that there is, you'll get a little benefit. And I was like, that's neat. That's a good way to try and enforce that whole, like, oh, you should roleplay a thing that's bad, because otherwise, if it's mechanically bad, you're just sad about it, and no amount of... Ah, but what a role-playing opportunity is horseshit. I think my favorite thing in terms of the role-playing opportunity, and this is, I'm sorry, I keep going off track, but in, in that that section, that laying out expectations section of the book, he's like explaining what energy points are and how they interrelate with stats. And he says, like, if you roll low stats, don't worry, you'll earn extra energy points. And I was like, oh, okay, so there's going to be a counterbalancing mechanism where, like, you, uh, if you have super low stats and it gives you a bonus to energy points, so you have a higher maximum of those. Kind of like how the Buffy the Vampire Slayer game, like if you played a Xander, you got a bunch of the luck affecting meta narrative currency just so that you would have anything to do to comparison with Buffy. Yeah. But no, it's not that. In fact, the energy point calculation is based off stat bonuses, so you only get more energy points if you have higher stats. Yep. What he was trying to say was that you'll get more opportunities every time you say, I'm feeble. They're going to be like, great, here's four energy points because you suck. But there's no mechanic for that, and there's no... There's no the only time he ever says it where he's like if you have low stats you get more energy points is in that just that intro section it's never mentioned again yeah the intro section really before I got into the mechanics was painting me a picture that did not appear <laughs> and it's like he was, someone handed you something it was like this is a magic eye painting and it's not it's just noise yeah <laughs> it's just a bunch of bullshit and I just sat there and stared at it I can't see the schooner <laughs> well there is it's a lie it's just static it's white noise. Yeah. And again, the fact that like, oh, you'll have more opportunity if your stats are low. No, it, the opportunity is all based on playing to your descriptor. So if I have an 18 and I'm fucking mighty strength, if I go around being like, yeah, and I fucking pick up an entire table and it's got people sitting at it and everything and mm-hmm. they all join the ride because I'm mighty. I'd be like, that's me using my descriptor. I'll get some energy points in the same way as if I had a low intellect and I go, duh, I'm a moron. I have literally the descriptor moronic. I'll lick a window. Well, here's three points, cowboy. You played in character. Good for you. 
I don't know. It's just, it's like he just heard that fucking role-playing opportunities from extra stats thing somewhere and just stuck it in here because that's just part of the dogma. That's just how, when you write a Heartbreaker game, you go like, ah, if you get low stats, that's a good thing. Like, exactly. of course it is. People hate hearing stories about people with high stats. That's why the character Superman fizzled out so fast. Exactly. They wrote him in 1932, and then he was dead by 1934, and he never heard his name again. <laughs> Uh, that's why everyone's favorite role-playing story, when they tell a story about their character, it's, so there I was, being terrible, and then I didn't accomplish anything. <laughs> yeah, that's why you, when you get cornered by someone in a game store, they want to harp at you about their D&D character, like, get this, man, he had a sick strength. I got so much role-playing opportunities out of that. I couldn't lift this one rock, and then later, I couldn't lift this other rock. Huh? Uh, couldn't lift it, bro. Couldn't. <laughs> think about it that was, it was epic <laughs> my amazing role-playing opportunities <laughs> i just I, I it's only one line in the whole book but i every time i see it i'm like come on guys can we move past this mindset that this this like nobility of the poor bullshit where you're like if you've got a, <laughs> if you've got a four charisma that's because you're heightening the game for the rest of us yeah when you run up and say you're dwarf Farts and burps and then pokes someone in the eye. That's good role playing. <laughs> so irritating. Um, okay. So it, we, uh, he tells us how to calculate a few. We get into a section here where he starts uh, going through how to create characters. Notably, one of the things that the how to create character section does not include is the statistics. There's like a 14 step process for how to build your character. And one of the steps is just roll your stats. Yeah. And it doesn't tell you what they are, how to do it, man. That's just the later chapter. Look, roll your stats. You're reading this. You already know what I want you, you to do. You know what the stats are. You know you, what the stats are. And you know, I want you to do 3d6. <laughs> I'm going to give you a range as desired, but that's because I'm feeling charitable. <laughs> okay. So uh, it, one, the only interesting thing about stat rolling in this game is that uh, you are going to, after you roll your stats, you choose your calling, which is this game's class, basically. Yeah, you have class. You have classes. Uh, when you choose your calling, you will automatically rearrange your stats so that your highest stat is in the stat where your calling is. So if you're like, well, if I rolled a really high uh, dexterity, but I really want to play a holy man, which is this game's cleric, you, you choose holy man and you swap your dexterity and your your wisdom, whatever it's called. And I think it's still wisdom. Yep. Um, and, and then you automatically take two points from any one of your other stats away and increase the value of your, the, the, the uh, stat you have in your, in your calling stat by one. Uh. It's not a choice. It, the only thing, the only thing that stops is that if you have an 18 in that stat already, cause you can't get a stat above 18. Yep. But the only thing you get to choose there is which stat drops by two in order to raise your core stat by one. Um, <sighs> then you choose or roll personality traits from good, neutral, or evil and choose which one of them is dominant. Uh, because as we mentioned earlier, there's a big chart for each one. If you're thinking that those charts can be kind of uh, counterindicative, they absolutely can. Uh, you can be like generous and greedy and also stingy is your neutral stat. Yeah. Um, just figure it out. One of them's dominant, I guess. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Normally I'm I'm very generous, but sometimes I'm secretly like, "Ooh, I want to keep this." Yeah. You can be suspicious and trust uh, and trusting. It's not a big deal. Uh but you choose good neutral or evil ones. You're also going to eventually choose your your law chaos axis, but uh I they're not they're called morality and stability. Yeah, cuz instead of being like, "Oh, I've got a lot of law," In the way that you would have, like, I've got points in good or neutral or evil. Mm -hmm. Instead, it's how 
likely are you to switch between them and are you getting penalized for it yeah um, so if you have you're like i'm chaotic which means i can just do whatever the fuck i want and there's no penalty but if i'm lawful and i choose to be good then if i start doing evil things the gm is gonna fuck with me so the only thing that the alignment system really does is affect the uh, amount of energy points that'll be offered to you and dumb little negotiations that'll pop up here and there and if you're a holy man, the cleric class, and you change alignment in any direction for any reason, you immediately lose all your spells until you perform a special quest. Yeah, if you've got a god and they're good and you fall out of good into new neutral, well, you fucked up and now you've got to go on a quest to get them their favor back. Yeah, and it's encouraged that you that the DM or MC should be especially fiendish with the I fiendish is this is a fiendish book. I'm gonna go ahead and say this. For some reason, Mm-hmm. There, I mean, there are only four classes in this. The fucking Holy One, clerics. Thief, Warrior, and Wizard. Yeah. And boy, does he hate the fucking cleric. Because he's like, all right, this is where I'm going to stick all of the whole, like, you can fall from grace with your god thing. Yeah. Also, I'm going to put a whole bunch of dumb bullshit for your spells to fuck you over. I'm going to make it so that your spells aren't really all that useful to begin with, too. And you're like, man, you just really made it so that Holy One is... Just the shit bottom barrel garbage guy. Now, when you first see Holy Man, you th- or Holy One, you think to yourself, that's weird. He must have decided to have a progressive moment and, and go with Holy One instead of Holy Man. And he did. And he gives himself a pat on the back for that as well. In the start of the section, he's like, this was originally Holy Man. But it is important to note that any number of women can also join this calling. And that is why I have changed the name to Holy One. Anyway, now I'm just going to say Holy Man for the entire descriptor. Yep. <laughs> Uh, so there are the, the four callings are basically you know ad od and d shit you've got you've got thief we already said them yeah but they are very boring in terms of what they what they do and what they get um most of them will get w- three maybe three sometimes two abilities over the course of the first 10 levels and then at 11th level each one of them gets something that is effectively a, a jump up to stronghold management in terms of what they're supposed to play as now well yeah because of course everyone loves that whole like oh i loved it when my you know fighting man ended up having seven squires that followed him around yeah, and he got a keep worth a thousand gold pieces <laughs> that I mean, that's one of the things that obviously he liked about old dungeons of dragons so he included it here but to his credit he did equalize it all four of the classes at 11th level gain control over land and title and people it's just the game switches into into city management at that point. And there's even I got to say, this is one of the few positives I'm going to assign this book rules for it. It's not because old D&D had that problem where it was like when you become a level 10 fighter, you get a keep and 30 men. OK, but what, what do I do next? You go into dungeon by yourself with these four people that are your friends. That you've been going to dungeons with what's the keep for? Prestige, I guess. I don't know. It's your the- name. Your title changed to Lord. So you got to have that. Well, you see, because back in the day here. No, you're going to take those 30 dudes with you. You're just going to die. <laughs> you're just going to be like, cool, now I got 30 dudes I can send into a dungeon for you, me. You guys go fight that Glabra Zoo. Oh, we're all going to die. I know, and I won't even replace you. There's no rules for that. <laughs> big empty castle. <laughs> uh, but at least this game's got this I stuff I sleep about- in a big empty castle with my wife. <laughs> I sleep in a race car thieves guild. <laughs> Do you sleep in a race car thieves guild? But no, like in in this game, there's actually like rules for how to maintain your keep and what you can do with it. So I'm giving it a slight bit of credit for that. But other than that, the classes are fucking boring. Oh, yeah. Notably, the the thief in this, 
all of the abilities the thief gets are are except for backstab, which is a base ability they start with, are language related. Yep. At level one, they pick up thieves can't. At level five, they pick up the ability to read secret languages. <laughs> a five percent chance to read any language, increasing by five percent per level thereafter. <laughs> at level four. <laughs> And then at level like 11 or something, they also get the ability to read magic scrolls. Yep. So they literally, all of their, as they gain level abilities are language related for whatever, probably just because that was the way he broke down Thief. Everything else went into skills. Yeah. I mean, they get the sneak attack. I'll get, I'll give them that. And I didn't see any rules in there about how you can't use it against like constructs and the undead and stuff. Nope. So, hey, that's, that's a bit of a streamline. Yeah. As long as the target's vulnerable. I always hated that shit in old, old Dungeons Dungeons. You can't. Uh, critically hit the undead they're they're not they don't feel pain because they're dead and i'm like yeah but you can still like cut their foot off so they fall down you can hit them better (laughs) yeah it's perfectly sensible that a thief who's an expert at knowing how to cut things off people so they can't keep chasing him would know how to do it to a zombie (laughs) but yeah everyone basically gets you know if you're a caster you get casting and that's pretty much the only thing you're going to get like Uh uh-huh the holy man can turn undead and uh, make holy water and make holy water at level six, but it takes like two two weeks, two weeks to make two d six vials of it. Yes, uh, <laughs> the wizard just has spells. Yes, they have nothing until up. level eleven. At level eleven, they pick up a wizard spire and some and apprentices, some wet wizards. Yeah, and then the warrior can attack twice at level three and three times at level seven. Yes, which comes with penalties related to the energy point expenditures, because you're only allowed to spend three energy points on any given attack. Well, you only have three special effects. You can spend more than three points. Oh, okay, that's right. You can only you can only purchase three spe- effects off the energy point table. Uh, and if you're a fighter, because you make three attacks at level seven or whatever it is, you can only you you have to divvy them up. You can't you can't purchase three special effects for all three attacks. Yes, up to three, and you have to spread them not, out amongst them. Not that you would generally have that much energy all the time anyway yeah you start with you start with enough to probably do it because energy point calculation is 10 plus all of the physical adjustments that you have so if you have like strength and if you have strength or stamina or agility bonuses each one of those is going to contribute and that that does go up that maximum goes up per level as well i think yeah it's 10 plus level plus agility or plus uh physical bonuses and uh it regenerates at like a rate of twelve per day. Uh, you reset to your base after a uh, full night's rest. Yeah. So if you're feeling saucy, you can throw one. At, if you have the ability to do so, which you don't, you can be like, "Fuck it, I'm buying nine adjustments to, to the next three attacks." Uh, you just aren't allowed to. Uh, and then uh, there, you choose your species, and there are four, and they are dwarf, elf, halfling, and human. And now it's time to talk about those. Yay. So this game works by giving you a quick rundown of the species. So, you know, it's like dwarves. Dwarves live in the mountains. They're mighty, even though they're small. And uh, they grow big beards. And the females grow jewel or put gems in their beards so you can tell what gender they are. <laughs> hey, and, they, ha- they hold grudges. Every single dwarf thing you've thought of in D&D, it's here. Yeah. There's one new thing to dwarves, which I kind of appreciated, which is that they're all the victims of an ancient curse that sometimes make it makes it so they grow up with messed up animal feet. Huh? Um, and as a result, they have a taboo against showing their bare feet because it's rude to the dwarves who have like bird feet or hooves. Aww. So all of them wear iron shod shoes all the time. And it's a terrible, uh, taboo in their society to take your shoes off in front of another dwarf. Cause what if they've got hooves, you're going to make them feel bad. Aww. Uh, and then each species has two ta- or three tables they get to roll on. Um, 
one of them is a, a generally common uh, thing that's that's normal to that species and is normal to you. The next one is something that's only a few members of that species have, and so do you. And the third one is what piece of equipment do you start with that is common to your species? Yep. So if you're a dwarf, for example, you, your common one will be things like you are especially proud of your beard. A lot of them are worthless. Like I'm just gonna, some of them are kind of neat quirks to your character. Well, I mean, mostly it's just a here's a small world building role. Yes, but some of the even even those are some of them are worthless. There'll be things like you think humans are fine. You know, you're all you right. Know. You're all right. With sometimes they're gr- they're not great, and sometimes they are. You think humans are okay, I guess. Hey, many dwarves are capable of killing for a cause they believe in. <laughs> See, it's that kind of shit. It's just, I, I guess, uh, the only one, the only ones where it's an outlier are deeply unpleasant. Ah, like when you get to the elves, and there's all this weird shit about elf miscegenation that 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 works its way into the. Uh, <laughs> into the tables you roll on so you can be things like well i wanted to play as this lady elf warrior because i've got a story about it oh shoot i rolled that i have lustful objections or or, uh, observations toward trolls and i may have even lain with one in the past (laughs) oh good thanks good well what if you were a male elf oh well then you can't have that one instead you can have i am sexually attracted to a human woman and i won't take no for an answer Ah. which is a real thing you can roll (laughs) sigh yeah uh, so of the four species, all of them are just what you thought they were. If you think you know anything at all about elves, dwarves, or halflings, yeah. Elves are aloof and they live in forests and they don't like anybody unless they do. Uh, they are good at everything. They live a long time and, uh, they spend a lot of time either being raped by trolls or raping human women. Great. Love it. Very unpleasant. There's even great. a section that tells you the outcome of that. It's like, yeah, if, if, uh, the trolls and, and elves mate, then it creates a, an a elf there's no such thing as half elves in this no half elves because instead elves will begin life as an elf and then become the other thing until they die yes (laughs) at a certain point you just troll out a little yeah you're just like i'm an elf i'm an elf oh shit now i'm a human i think you get the choice like it's supposed to be like a i I don't know a lord of the rings type thing where arwen eventually chooses to live as a human i mean the or the the thing in here just says you begin life as an elf. At some point, they become the other thing yes. until they're dead. You don't even get the choice. Not like what, what Elrond's brother, I think, is one who was like, fuck it, I want to live as a human. Yeah, fuck it. Humans are cool. What's his name? Elros? I forget. Anyway. <laughs> Elbros. I think it might actually be Elros, so don't laugh too hard. Elbro. <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm not making up a goofy name. <laughs> but yeah, all of the ones that aren't humans get infravision. Just all of them get some infravision. Yep. Uh, you get whatever their dumb OD&D thing was, like... Elves can find secret doors and dwarves can see the slope of mountain tunnels and yes, shit. But they all have low chances to do it. It's all made by the MC in secret. And oh, they... it's all a one and three because all yeah. of them are a one or two on a D6. Yes. Uh, and then they all get a plus one to something. So uh, dwarves get plus one damage with their axes and hammers. Elves get plus one to hit with swords and bows. And uh, you get plus one to any luck roll if you're a halfling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that's basically it. You get your base speed. Humans don't get to have uh, infravision, and they don't get a bonus to any specific thing, but they get an extra trademark. 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 Not a feat, because feats are dumb and bad and ruined the game. Feats are bad, but what if there was a thing you got every other level that was a way that changed your character's play a little bit? Huh? And they were called trademarks. Yeah. What if my trademark was 
point blank shot or <laughs> whirlwind attack. Are we ready to talk trademarks? Because they might be one of the dumbest things in here in terms of what they actually generate. I mean, I absolutely hate them, but uh, I'll say this. It doesn't have hit points, just real quick. Oh, yeah. It's got a wound track system. It kind of combines two kinds of wound tracks. Yeah. So you have, uh, you can take damage because you're still you know like we said you're taking like oh i hit for eight or whatever yeah but that goes into filling in bubbles on your track Mm -hmm. once you fill in something you go to the next level each level comes with bonuses or penalties associated with it yeah so if you're hurt you get a plus one to your damage because you're like ah fuck you buddy yeah you get bad uh if you're staggered i think it is you're wounded you end up critting more often and fumbling fumbling more often yes your range goes instead of one in twenty, uh, one to five, fifteen to twenty. Yes. Uh, so you're you're you get a sudden times four or times five amount of times you're going to crit or or fumble, uh, and uh, at a certain level you also have your movement. Yeah. At uh, actually wounded is halved, messed up is minus two to all rolls, and then death's door is fumble on uh, one through five or crit fifteen to twenty. Which is weird, because I'm pretty sure later in the book he changes that order. But whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's also, there's a thing with, um, okay, I wanted to mention this. Is the, the Just like we mentioned earlier, there's those like Mad Lib descriptors you're supposed to use when you deal damage. The same thing exists when you're supposed to take damage. So, for example, uh, you, you instead of saying like, oh, that did like, after calculating my armor resistances, that did like seven damage to me, you're supposed to say like, my armor absorbs some of the force of the Minotaur's battle axe, but the blow still leaves me wounded. I seem to be moving, moving more slowly now, but I'm still mad as hell at the creature. Wow. Now, that's because you got moved to the wounded track, and when you're wounded, you move at half speed, but you're also already hurt, which is the thing that makes you mad, giving you the plus one to attack rolls. What I find amusing about this is that it's hollow. It's very hollow. Because you say, I'm wounded. I seem to be moving more slowly now. Why? Because you're wounded? Or did, did you take a specific wound that makes you slow? Or you, yeah. that, That's not part of it. This isn't, that isn't what this is. This isn't descriptive gameplay. This is using a special code language. Yeah, it's just, now you have to say a certain thing. Yes. It's a script. It's not role-playing, it's a script. It's not role-playing, it's telemarketing. And in fact, this is a consistent <laughs> a consistent complaint I have throughout this book, because there's the second, we already talked a little bit about the whole, like, offering uh, benefit or energy points in exchange for doing a certain thing. Yeah. That, again, is not role-playing. That is, the DM says, I'll give you six energy points if your character tries to jump this chasm, and you go, uh, my character tries to jump that chasm. That's not you playing your character, that's you accepting strictures assigned to you by the DM. Yeah, well, you know. This book is constantly bragging about how strong of a role-playing tool it is, and at every turn, it undermines it. <laughs> the underminer! <laughs> it's just, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm probably angrier than I need to be. Probably. I, I just I just find it very funny how disconnected this game's rhetoric is from its actual like state. Yeah. That's all. That's what that's, that's what's getting me. So anyway, yeah, that's the wound track system. Now let's talk them trademarks. Uh... Oh, them trademarks. Well, first of all, let's get the obvious one out of the way. The best one. Um th- four of the trademarks are I am trained in another one of the callings. Yes. When you take those ones, you just are at the level you pick them up. You just also level as that calling now. Yeah. Uh, granted, if you take either of the two spellcasters, you get like half as many spells. I mean, not really. I think it's specific. Maybe it's just Holy Man, but I think for for uh, Holy Man specifically says like have the number of spells round up that you can cast per day. 
I mean, the uh, the holy man one is nope. They're all just you just get right. the whole class when you at holy man and wizard are both. If you get wizard training or holy man training, mm-hmm. which again he has immediately abandoned holy one. It's called holy man training. Yep. Uh, you cast prayers as a first level holy man. Mm-hmm. Each time you advance a level, you gain the ability to cast as if you're a holy man of one level higher to a maximum of fifth level holy man. Oh, that's right. And so you all of the, the trademark again later. Yeah, all of the trademarks cap you at being like up to level five, but it means if you get that as one of your first level ones, you're like, cool, I just every time I level also level in something else, so I may as well be a human, spend my first three trademarks on the other three classes I'm not, get to level five and be like, I'm level five in everything. I'm a whole party by myself. <laughs> so first, those are far and above the best of the of the trademarks you can pick. Yes, the if you pick them again, you get to go up to 10th level. Yeah, so just take those. The only other ones that are probably worthwhile are the one that gives you a bonus to like uh, the health track measuring tools so you have more hit points, and the one that gives you just straight up more energy points and you can purchase it over and over again. Yeah, you can get five more energy points per day. After uh, that, <laughs> you get a bunch of ones that either replicate the abilities that you could just get from a skill, but worse... Or provide new wrinkles to gameplay that are all just tools for the DM to fuck with you. Oh, yeah. All of them. You can take, for example, Expert Orienteer. Uh, Expert Orienteer is that you can know kind of where you are and what direction is north. Uh, 50% of the time, you don't get to roll it. And when the D- when the MC rolls it behind a screen, they don't tell you that you don't know. They tell you that you do know, and they lie to you. Yes, because this is one of those games. Mm-hmm. You can have... <laughs> A trademark where instead of being able to just freely get five levels in another class, instead you have a lover in every port where you're, you know, entangled with someone wherever you go. And yeah, however, gotta... there's a 50% chance that relationship will prove dangerous to you. Like, but I, I'm putting, I'm putting a trademark, a limited resource I have mm-hmm. into a lover in every port, which is essentially providing me with role-playing opportunities. Nothing but role-playing. Yeah. And even then, you're like, but hey, maybe fuck you? Yeah. I'm like, hey, do you know what the drawback to getting warrior training is? Nothing. Go fuck yourself. Yeah, you get warrior training. Get those extra attacks at certain levels. That's what you get from being a warrior. I, meanwhile, a lover at every port, and, and again, it's secret information. You're not like, it's not like you're like, well, I'll check in with my girl here in this town. Uh, it, the MC is going to behind a chart, roll the table, and go like, ah, they hate you now. You have a they have a jilted lover who's a tenth level assassin, oh. and they'll kill you. Uh, it, it, it's bad, especially because it's not like the lover could provide you with that much—a place to stay, maybe some information about local goings on. And if they hate you, they will try to kill you and your party. Yeah, which is like, I would rather just meet strangers in town. Yeah, like I'd, I'd be I'd, like. Hey, can you tell me where I can sleep here? Yeah, there's an inn over there. Uh, can you tell me if there's any interesting stuff? Yeah, like orcs attack last week. Uh, do you want to kill me because of a jilted lover? No, I'm a stranger. I've never met you before. Perfect. This is good for me. I am happier with this. This is great. I love that. Or you could get sixth sense. Oh, sixth sense. You oh. have oh boy. You have preternatural knowledge of your surroundings within a hundred feet and can gain knowledge that would otherwise be unknown to you. Of course, it's only on a one or a two on a D6. On a three through six, 
uh, it's false. And the GM is just going to tell you bullshit. Yeah, the MC just lies to you. So you have a 66% chance of just being lied to about a thing that might be around here, and a 33% chance of finding out hidden information about the area. Unless, of course, there is no hidden information about the area, in which case you have a 33% chance of the DM saying, yeah, there's nothing going on around here. <laughs> it's just nothing. And instead of that, you could get, you know, spell mastery where you can reroll a d20 on an attack roll when you cast a spell. Yeah. Yeah, all of these choices are bad. Uh, one of them, Legend Master, I think is one of my my all time favorites. Legend Master is a fifty fifty secret chance. It's all secret chances. Uh huh. To know anything about a topic. So, for example, if you find a scepter in the uh, an important scepter in the dungeon, you could be like, "I'll make my Legend Master roll to see what I know about this." Now, it's not fifty fifty. You know something or nothing. It's fifty fifty. You know truth or lies. It's always that. It's all. It's never. You've never heard of the scepter. It's always. Uh, yeah. This is the scepter of Serfimbulob the Magnificent. It's definitely not cursed or anything. Every time. Yeah. Um. But and this is the part that actually rankles me. It's not that this skill is stupid in the first place. It's that there's a lore skill in this game, which is no stuff about things you find, and you get to roll it, and no one lies to you if you don't know what it is. Yeah, because you're the one rolling it. So when you do it, and you're like. Oh, I fucked up. Then, hey, great. You don't have to be like, ah, well, I failed. Uh, please tell me a lie that I believe. Yeah. Also, the skill system is, to its credit, fairly functional, which means you'll have a way higher than 50-50 chance. Why would you spend a trademark on this? I mean, it depends. Because I mean, I guess if it's super crazy, if it's super obscure, you have to roll a million dice for it, or the target number is really high. Well, yeah, because low. the way the skills work are... There's a difficulty rating, which is how many D6 you're going to roll. Yes. Uh, the easiest is 3D6. Yeah. Uh, and then it goes up from there. So the average is usually 4D6, and mm-hmm. it's roll under a stat. Yes. So if your stat's not very good, and you're rolling 4D6, you're probably going to fuck up whatever you're doing. But if you're trained in a skill, you remove a D6. Yes. So you only have to roll, you know, three instead of four if you're trained. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's, uh, I mean, granted, that's still probably because you rolled 3d6 to generate the stats in the first place. It's essentially, if you're rolling 3d6, it's an Ursat's 50-50 chance. Well, again, you're it's probably a, only going to use skills that are under your at, stats. Yeah, and, and that you're trained in. So so it's, it's an interesting, I, I actually thought the skill system's basic resolution mechanic was one of the okay things here. Because eh. at least it's out in front of you and you understand how it works and you can hear how many dice you're going to have to roll and you know what your stat is so you can do the math. You can you, Player skill can be rewarded. This it's game... one of the very few things that would actually reward player skill. This game hurt you so bad that the fact that the player knows what's happening is something that you were like, good job, game. You didn't hide it. <laughs> Look, I know we're professional mudlarks. Every once in a while I find some copper in the shit. Nah, I didn't particularly care for the skill system because I was like, oh, that means you only roll for things you are good at and never for anything else because the baseline, even 3d6, if you're like, I have a seven in whatever stat because I didn't roll particularly well, I will never try and use this skill. Yeah. I mean, I I think it sucks. Don't get me wrong. All I'm trying to say is at the end of every one of these episodes, we've got to say what our favorite thing is. And I've already run out of my quota of my favorite thing is I don't have to talk about this anymore. I'm like, I'm not allowed to do that joke anymore. No. So I, I'm just I'm just saying, this was not the worst. Everything else is the worst. Nah. I mean, <laughs> we'll we'll get to my favorite thing right now-ish, basically. Please go ahead if you got which something. Which is the energy point system. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, energy points, we've been mentioning a lot that you'll get them and spend them and do stuff. Uh, energy points are basically, I want to do something that isn't just swing and do an attack. Mm -hmm. I want to have an effect on 
the world. So if you want to be like, oh, I want to set fire to a guy. Uh, now, of course, the game is like, well, you'd better have a torch around mm. or else that's not going to work. You can't just manifest the ability to set someone on fire. This is a logic based game. Yeah, there's this whole thing. This where- game with wizards and holy men is a logic based well, game. player skill. It's player skill to know that there's a fire around when you want to set someone on fire. The player skill is to know that you should probably have fire to light people on fire with that fire. Yeah, but something like, oh, you can spend an energy point to pin someone down. Mm -hmm. So that means I can, like, use a dagger or whatever to pin someone to the floor so they can't move. Yeah. All right. That's an effect that you can do. But then it's also like, ah, but again... Uh, if you're trying to pin a troll to a stone wall with a dagger, well, that's not going to work. <laughs> like, uh, just let me use my fucking points to do a stupid thing, you dumb piece of shit. Yes. But the energy point thing to be like, do you want to add special effects? Or like, do you want to just knock someone down? Sure. It's a point. You just say you, you know, stab them and then kick them and they fall over. Great. There's not really a lot of rules for what being knocked over does. I mean, that I can eh. find, but at least it's there. Maybe you can use some common sense or something. Yeah, you can blind someone. You can, I mean, the ones you're actually going to do is getting a bonus to your attack roll and getting extra damage. Because yes. <laughs> most of the things where it's like, what can you do? Ooh, I spend my points and I moved the guy I was fighting uh, a square, except we're not going squares because we're not using miniatures because that would be dumb bullshit, except yeah. for the fact that. I have a quote saying it's great and cool. I actually am not sure. Sh- what I was trying to say earlier is I'm not sure what this guy's actual opinion on miniatures is. It, it, the initial, in the in the intro, it felt like he was going to go on a uh, diatribe about how miniatures are dumb. And in the olden days, they didn't need that shit. But then the quote he links to is like, miniatures are great. Use miniatures. So I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> but I do like the fact that you get energy points can do stuff for not just regular, like, melee combat you can do stuff to be like oh i can you know move faster or explore faster if i spend some points or i can if i fuck up casting a spell i can uh try to re-roll or i can be like oh because this is you know obviously fancy in casting because why would you ever change that Mm -hmm. uh if you cast a spell you're like oh i can use this to swap out a spell i have to replace that so i can cast it again Mm -hmm. you know energy points are useful they're a useful thing that you can use yeah and as far as i can tell there's no point where the mc gets to go ha ha they do nothing fuck you yeah they do actually give a little bit of player control to a situation yeah it's like oh this is the one nod toward the player gets to control somewhat of the narrative if i was picking a nice thing to say about energy points i'd point out that there were non-combat applications for them as well that i thought was kind of cool like you could use them to double your overland travel and stuff yeah so that was something. There was something to them. I didn't I didn't particularly hate them. By the way, I want to drag us back for just a second to classes or just, I'm sorry, to species, because for some reason, nothing else in the book gets this. But species get FAQs after each species. Yeah, there's like, like two questions about each species. And the reason I want to drag it back is because none of these questions feel like they were especially ethically aid because ah. it's stuff like uh, like, uh, well, are dwarves really different under their beards? Ask them and you might get punched. Or the halfling one was like, are there any halfling barbarians? Well, no, there's no barbarians at all. You took them out of the game. But the question is, it's rumor has it that there might be some especially fiendish cannibal barbarian halflings that are uh, frenzying about in the woods somewhere. And then the second one about halflings is, what's so special about halfling pipeweed? 
Well, you'll have to smoke it to find out. Now, that's the thing that told me that this was made after 2001 or so, because for there's a certain class of total nerds for whom that one fucking line in the in the first Lord of the Rings movie was the funniest thing that has ever happened. Ah, the uh, that your your love of the halflings weed has d- clearly dulled your senses. Yeah. So for some class of people, they were like, "Oh my god, that's a marijuana joke. That's the funniest joke there's ever been told." Everyone, never tell a joke again. Halfling weed, halfling weed. The one joke has arrived, and this is one of those nerds. There's fucking halfling weed jokes every three pages in this book. <laughs> You're so angry about something that is not true. It is completely true. Uh, you know what? You know what's not true? There's no reference to that weed being marijuana. It's supposed to be that that uh, Tolkien did not or, or had opinions about tobacco that were especially strong. That's all it is. The weeds, the the the, uh, the hobbits aren't growing weed. Uh, so I mean, maybe, angry. Maybe they are. I don't know. You don't know. I can't say for sure what hobbits are or aren't doing because <laughs> they don't exist. <laughs> I'm just saying, if your FAQ includes the question, what's so special about halfling weed, you'll have to smoke it to find out. Fucking cut that line. <laughs> fucking cut it. You could have this page space. It, you 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 put in a joke and didn't answer your own fucking joke. Well, I mean, honestly, you could get rid of the questions after everything just because... They're, they're all jokes and they're all shitty? All of them are just dumb jokes that don't answer anything? Yes. The only one that does is the... Oh, we don't believe in half-elves in this game. Yes, that's the only one. The one that's like, what happens with all these elf rapes I wrote in here? Uh, Oh, oh, they they turn into the other species eventually. Great. Okay. But they are still rapes. Let's make that very clear. So, uh, the other thing that this has as a chart, just like the good and evil and neutral and whatnot, is the Elder Gods. Ah, yes. There are five Elder Gods. Uh, This is actually one of the more innovative things about the game, even if it kind of sucks. Your character sheet has a little picture on it, like a mosaic, like a stained glass window looking thing. Uh, and there are five starting points on that mosaic representing what life, death, uh, the great unknown, the void and the elements. Mm-hmm. And those are the five elder gods of the outer planes of existence uh, who you can you start with five points to distribute amongst them uh, to represent your level of influence in each one of their spheres. Uh, and you can pray to them for sucker in certain situations. Yeah, basically the game gives you the ability to, if you want, uh, when damage is incoming, mm-hmm. you can be like, all right, uh, I've got, you know, three points in death or whatever. I, I, for some reason, am a follower of the Elder God of Death. Yes. Okay, uh, I can pray to the God of Death and have any incoming damage that is happening. Mm-hmm. So if someone's like, oh shit, I'm swinging on you and I'm doing like 12 points of damage and you're already fucked up. You can be like, all right, I pray to death and hope I get, you know, six points instead of 12. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. But then, of course, there is a fiendish bargain that one must pay. And the fiendish bargain is you don't know. And the book makes it very clear that it can't be something simple. It's not just going to be you have a minus two to hit for the next three attacks or something. Oh, no. The only example listed... The single singular example listed of what a fiendish bargain with the elder gods might look like is the next day you awake, blood pools at your feet. It's the rest of the adventuring party. You murdered them in your sleep. Yeah. Great. That's not a very good penalty to you. That just means that all the other players have to make new characters. Yeah. Hey, guys, I'm sorry I murdered all of your characters, but I really needed to not take six points of damage. But hey, good news, I murdered all of you, so the next three characters that show up to replace them won't know I did that. <laughs> There won't be a lot of questions about where I got all this stuff. 
and I can just hand it back out to your new characters. Or not. We'll see how many points you'll give me for being greedy. Uh, It's so dumb that that's like an entire thing on your character sheet. You have this whole thing where you're like, oh, uh, these control the very forces of nature and spells are like aligned with certain elder gods and whatnot. Yep. The elder gods outrank the gods. And it's, I mean, for one, given that every single spell is associated with one of the elder gods, mm-hmm. you'd think, all right, well, why is any holy one praying to a god when you could just be like, nah, I'm just a, I'm, you know, a priest of the elements. Yeah. Fuck you. Yeah, um, it, it's it, you're supposed to choose a deity, and they actually mentioned the name of a deity at one point. I forget which one. Regulus. I think Regulus got mentioned, but also one of the ones from Orth, like from Orth, like Greyhawk. They just put in like I don't know Kelimvor or something. They were just like, "Fuck it, Kelimvor's in here. Fuck you. Uh, I'm just using D and D god names. Try and stop me. Fuck it. Who cares? <laughs> no one gives a shit. That's not trademarked, is it? Oh fuck, it is. Oh no. <laughs> But yeah, the the whole thing where you have this big stained glass window on your sheet and you're supposed to color it in uh, each time you have an interaction that kind of reflects your relationship to these elder gods. Each one of them has a color associated with them. So you're supposed to color in this little stained glass window picture with five colors as you interact with the five gods and with alignment things and so on. And it's supposed to be that as a high level character, you can show someone your character sheet and they can look at that stained glass window and just the sheer amount of colors can tell them things about your character but no one will ever interact with this system because the only example they used from it is that you will kill the entire party if you ever do it even once. Yeah, the fact that that's the one thing they wanted to put as the example of like, hey, and the gods will ask something from you and no mere penalty to hit, why, maybe you murder everyone. You're like, oh, for like minus four damage? No, thanks, I'm good. No, I want to, can, I, can I do anything else with the Elder Gods? No, that's the only thing you can do with them. You can pray to them for half damage. Uh, Great. Why are all of the spells associated with one? Eh, no reason. Yeah, it doesn't do it, anything. It doesn't, yeah, this no. flavor. That's just for, yeah. Uh, w- which gods would I worship? There aren't any gods. There's just the five elder gods. You make up your own deities or steal D&D ones like I did. <laughs> you know, like I do. <laughs> and the deities know more about the elder gods, but they still don't know anything about them either. So don't bother praying to them for information. Yeah. <laughs> Ugh. It's a weird thing where you get this big pretty thing on your character sheet, and I like that idea. I like the concept that that you're uh, you have a little color wheel, you have a little color wheel, and by showing it to people, you can show them a, a, a blueprint of your experiences over the years. They can look at it and go, "Oh, wow, that's a lot of green. You've spent a lot of time amongst the elements, or whatever that kind of thing." But you won't, because interacting with it will murder your party because they couldn't bother including. Well, I mean, you'll still get points in it. You just won't do yeah, anything you won't with use it. it. You won't use it for anything. You're because- like, I've got ten points in the great unknown. What does yeah. that mean? It means I cast spells a lot, so the GM kept giving me points in it, and you but I didn't do anything. And you won't ever use it because the author of the book fundamentally misunderstood the human psychology of loss aversion. Ah. Where people won't do anything with weapon durability tables either because they're like, fuck, I don't want my weapon to break. I like my weapon. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is just annoying and in no way enhances anything. Yeah. Huh. So it's just, this is bad. It's just a bad time for everyone. Which I guess will lead us to the spells. Yeah. So the, like I said, the spells all have, you know, elder gods that they are associated mm-hmm. with, but they also have was briefly mentioned before the duration of spells is not in-game duration it is 
real life duration for some reason yeah there's no explanation for why it's done this way i think he he thought it was an especially like clever use to be like oh this will force the party to play faster if they want these buffs to last although i don't like if you're the type of person who's sitting there going like you know nobody role plays these days Mm -hmm. and then you're like and now i'm gonna make it so that if you do stop and talk to someone after you've cast a spell, baby, you're burning daylight. You got to get up, get going. <laughs> this only lasts for 20 real actual minutes. You had better fuck along. Yeah, you better go use this if you want it. Use it or lose it. And I'm like, well, why? Why does it? It's why? such a perverse incentive. It's Yeah, it, 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 it just like everything else in this book. It, he says one thing and then delivers literally the opposite. So weird. It, it's It's a consistency throughout this game. That the expectations are set up, that this game is going to be player-powered, logically drive, uh, the uh, power in the player's hands to do the right thing, and then it is never actually the case. Mm-hmm. It's weird. You keep telling me I'm way too angry, and I'm like, no, I feel like I'm the correct amount of angry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the spells, specifically the prayers that the holy man gets. <laughs> They're so fucking stupid. They don't do that much, and the penalties they inflict are ridiculous. Well, yeah, you're like... Okay, what do you have? Well, I'm going to give you two paragraphs of description about what this spell is. Which you will usually feature all kinds of shit that has nothing to do with the mechanics of the spell. No, because it'll just be, Ah, uh, and you, the mere mortal, g- give the sigil of Atribia, and then you... And you're like, okay, great. Let's move it along. Yeah. What are the mechanics? Uh, you get a, a plus three bonus versus fear. All yeah. right, and? Uh, no, that's it. No, we're done. We're done. It lasts three per level real world minutes. Done. Go on, go, go forth. Uh, but at least those ones are infinitely better than something like, say, the this uh, game's version of Command. It's called Divine Compulsion. Ah, yes. I was wondering who would bring that one up. <laughs> so, again, it's the same thing as Command from D&D. You mm-hmm. just give a single command, they try to follow it, and, you know, uh, it lasts for one command until they do it. Yeah, and the difference being that you can use it to tell them to die. It, it causes them well, to go Well, I mean, you can do that in D&D as well. I if be- you tell a creature to die, they just lay down yeah, they for just a lay round. Down. That's right, yeah. But on a critical failure, the prayer implodes inward, which is a weird thing for a prayer to do. Also, all implosions are inward. That's what implosion implies. <laughs> it implodes outward. Sort of <laughs> exploding, if you will. Exploding. <laughs> Uh, and the consciousness of the holy man is sucked into the void for six seconds where it comes face to face with the unfathomable. His body collapses to the ground and over the next hour, he loses all hair from his body. But despite his rattled soul will not appear to suffer any other effects from the event. So you basically cast level one command. You cast command, a basic ass level one spell, and you have a chance if you critically fail to lose a round being completely uh, catatonic Mm -hmm. and then wake up and lose all your hair. (laughs) And note that uh, critical fail in this game is rolling a one. So you, you know, unless you're at death's door and then maybe one one through five, you better not be a fucking caster on death's door or else your shit is going to get fucked real bad. Well, what I'm trying to say is statistically, that means that everyone who's ever cast the spell at least 20 times has lost all their hair. Oh yeah, for sure. (laughs) You see a, a bald holy man walking around. You're like, Hey, command. Yeah. And command. Yeah, I saw the unfathomable. <laughs> no, I'm a Bruno prophecy. <laughs> uh, and the thing is, all of these level ones, I would say 
more than 50% yes. have a, oh, but if you do whatever, then you get fucked up. Yeah. And all I could think reading through it was, oh, so I guess my level one to whatever holy man just sort of looks through the options, finds the one that just doesn't affect and not fuck you. Yeah. And just get those. Yeah. Plus you automatically get mend because there's, you get a bonus number of mend. Mend is cure light wounds in this game. Yeah. You get a bonus number of mend spells per level. Uh, that there's a little chart for how many you get. Uh, mend is one of my favorite spells in the first level, first order of holy man spells because it, it's pretty straightforward. You heal one D four per level to a maximum of 44. It's not a super complicated spell. The, the fluff of it though is like, you convince the rest of your party in advance to let you carve your God's holy symbol into all of their arms and legs with a knife. And then when you heal them, you have to reopen those cuts on their arms and legs and pour your blood into their body. And then they heal 2d4 HP. Uh, at first there is only suffering. Then his injuries begin to disappear and relief spreads across his face. No. What are you talking about? That's cure light wounds. I mean, I get you trying to make it so it has a fluff flavor, but I feel like you've kind but of even in the you've mecha- over gilded the pony on this one. Oh yeah, because even the mechanics just say you lay your hands on someone and channel positive energy. Yeah, you don't spend three hours in advance carving uh, scarification tattoos of your god onto their shoulders. Yeah, uh, it's just the weirdest thing. And of course, normally this goes up, and uh, once you hit four dice, then when you increase in level, it just goes up in dice size. Yes. Uh, but at level 10, you can spend a mend use to try and perform a miracle, which is basically casting heal. So you do a full heal on someone, Mm -hmm. but by God, if you try and do it more than once in a day, why you'll die. Yeah. You'd think you wouldn't bother. 4d20 is a huge HP gain anyway. So you're already kind of at that level by the time you hit level 10. Uh, but the idea that like, yeah, you can use this once a day to heal someone just to full, just absolutely to full hit hit points. If you try it twice. The gods become angered, thinking you arrogant. Oh, yeah. And they immediately inflict a death upon you. Oh, and you can, of course, do the opposite version, a rend instead of a mend, and it does damage like you would do healing. Mm -hmm. Of course, if you critically miss while uttering a rend spell, then you transfer your life into them and you heal them and hurt yourself. Okay. Okay, right. why? I guess I just don't do rend then. I also like the idea that this is a player skill thing, because that's the that's the lens through which I'm going to constantly observe this game. The fact that we got this big speech at the beginning about how this is all about player skill. And the player skill in this situation is, you have the men spell. Read it. Okay, don't try and cast that twice a day, or the gods will think you arrogant and murder you. Um, okay, great. Well, that's... So can I negotiate that? Is there a trademark I can take where they don't think I'm arrogant? Can I, like, meet my god and talk to him? No. No, no, no. The player skill is to remember when you read this, if that you, you try were allowed and do to do two this. miracles. Fuck. You. Yeah. The only player skill is a little bit of reading retention, I guess. <laughs> uh, there is the fucking uh, the spell that's basically like, oh, I have uh, sanctuary. Yes, is there is not even if you fuck up. It's just when the sigils depart for any reason, no matter what spell runs out, mm-hmm. you decide, fuck it. I want to go attack somebody. Whatever it is, there is a 1% chance of sucking the sigils into your own mind and becoming a mumbling, near-canatotic invalid over the next six days, and you slowly transform into a hungry, gelatinous monster. That's it. And there is no, like, and maybe you'll save your... No, it's just, hey, there's a 1% chance if you cast this spell that you just essentially die and turn into a monster. So, uh, 
take that into consideration <laughs> when you cast Sanctuary, a level one cleric spell. Yeah, one of my favorite spells in the clerics is like a fourth order spell. It actually does not have a crit fail effect. It's just funny to me that they wrote this. It's just selective memory editing. Yep. There's a spell that's just, oh, you can edit the memories of your party or like four other people that you meet. Um, it, it's described as an unreasonably powerful power. And then the description of it or the mechanics of it are you can just rewrite these people's memories for like the last month. It's just that, that that's all it is. There's no saving throws. There's no mechanics for what that means or anything. It's just you can just do that. Just yeah. you know, just do that. It's inordinately powerful for some reason. There you go. You did it. <laughs> Uh, okay, so, and then we get to the, the uh, wizard spells, which are just the wizard spells from D&D. Yeah, I mean, again, like, just like the cleric spells were all like, yeah, it's Sanctuary with a different name and yeah. can murder you. In this one, you basically get all the same things. You're like, oh, what about Spider Climb? It's called Arms of the Great Spider, mm-hmm. and it, it lets you spider climb. Great. Except the mage spells just don't have fuck the same fuck-up level. Yeah. They don't have the, the gods are punishing you. I've never met this guy. He didn't put a note in the book that says this 100% for sure, but he's obsessed with Paladin Falls, and since he didn't put Paladins in the game, he made them Cleric Falls. Pretty much. That's why Cleric spells are rife with ridiculous critical fail chances that have nothing to do with whether they're playing the game right or not, and if they ever change alignment for any reason, they immediately lose all their spells. Yeah. The There are still a few trap wizard things where it's yes. like, oh, did you summon a familiar? It gives you a plus one if it's nearby. And if it dies, you lose a level. You're like, oh boy, what a good trade-off. <laughs> hey, don't worry. There's a trademark you can take that you have an enemy. And uh, the, the, the the reason you take the trade-off that you have a horrible enemy that you don't know about and tries to mess with you every time you come to any city is that if you ever find out who he is and kill him, you immediately gain a level. Yep. I, I do love the idea of being like, like 100 XP from leveling and this enemy shows up and you're like, Hey, buddy, you need to chill the fuck out because I'm about to level anyway and I'm not wasting it on your dumb ass. <laughs> I'm going to go find 100 XP somewhere and then I'm going to come back and beat you up and gain another level. I like just the thing with trademarks is they're either combat or non-combat rated and you have to have as close as possible to an even number of the two, which is to say that for every non-combat, you have to the next one probably has to be a combat one. You can have one higher, but that's just because you have, you know you gain them yeah. at odd, odd intervals. Um Luckily, don't worry about it. Remember how we mentioned earlier that the only trademarks that are any good are the, are the four that are just like you're the other classes as well now? All of those are combat and non-combat. Yeah, you so can you, you take can just all ta- three of them. It doesn't matter. You can just take them as much as you want. Uh, but this one's a non-combat to have an enemy. And I was just like, everyone should just start with this level one. In fact, all of your non-combat trademarks should just always be this. Oh, that I- way the whole group works together. They just agree to a teamwork thing. We got to root out and kill all of our hidden enemies in every town. Oh, but just- then as the GM, I make all of your enemies show up at once. <laughs> Great. We all gain levels. Yeah, but they all kill you. I'm sorry. <laughs> They're all way more powerful than you are. <laughs> I guess that's fair. Because I'm the type of MC that if someone tried to cheese the system, I'd be like, well, that's not very role play. Well, I mean, in, in this case, by cheese the system, what you really mean is try to engage with the system. Yes. Uh, not cheese with cheese. It ju- this is this is cheese the way that like throwing in Street Fighter Two was cheap in 1994. Hey man, that's cheap. <laughs> hey, quit doing fireballs. That's cheap. That's cheap. Fireballs are cheap. They're a mechanic in the game. Engaging with the mechanics of the game is cheap. <laughs> now don't attack me for the first 30 seconds of the round. I need to learn how to do sonic booms. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what this character does, but if you fight me while I'm fucking around, that's cheap. That's cheap. But yeah, it, it's a, it, like in this case, the cheap thing that you would do would be try to engage with his feet. 
or trademark. You'd be like, I try to kill the guy who hates me. Uh, he's far too powerful and mysterious. I don't think you'll ever be able to kill him and well, gain you that don't level. Know that you have someone that wants to kill you. That's a trademark that your uh, character has, not you, the player. You don't know that. <laughs> so that's metagaming, and I'm going to remove a level from you. Mm, yes, yes, I know you're level one. <laughs> yeah. Everything's a fucking trap. And and the, it, it's funny because none of this is true. Like this this power or this trademark does not include a bunch of shit about how it's an obvious trap and you shouldn't take it. And if you do take it, you're fucked. It's just that the rest of the book is written in such a fashion <laughs> that it would lead me to very much believe that, yes, that would happen. If the entire party was like, yeah, we, we all took it at that point. The GM, honestly, what I would do is I go, oh, great. You have a mirror party that's out there that's just the evil versions of all of you. Yeah. And you'll find the evil party and you guys can have a fun throwdown with evil you. In fact, if I were the, the MC of that scenario, I'd be like, that's a neat idea, guys. There's an evil version of you floating around out in the world. Uh, go ahead and take different trademarks uh, because we've just made that one an official thing that's real and it's neat. And I also don't want to have all of you just trying to cheese your way into extra levels. So pick ones that matter and we'll move from there. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, there is an evil version of you out there, but yes, there is. I and mean, cause that's neat. That's neat and cool. I'm trying to remember. There was something in this game. There was a, Oh, the mapper thing. Oh yeah. Remember that? And the way back in the intro, I'm sorry to drag it back there way back in the intro. There was a section about how important it is to have a mapper into caller. Cause that was the shit he had back when he was 11. Yep. And in his case, he recommends that every party should have two mappers. Keep in mind that mappers are players, not characters. They are players who draw the map as the as the uh, uh, MC describes it to them. Yeah. Uh, in his case, he seems to think it's both because he's like, you need to have two mappers in every party for what happens if something in the dungeon destroys one of the maps. Then you would be lost unless you had two maps. Yeah. I'm like, but the map is player skill. It's, the it's, map is just someone drawing that in real life so that the party can be like, yeah, I'm not actually in a dungeon. I... Remembering that I went left or right is not a thing that I, a player, give a shit about. Yeah. And it led me, this is the thing, this book was, I spent the whole time being like, ugh, ugh, stupid, ugh. But every once in a while, I'll be like, oh, that's a great idea for a different game. And for me, the idea of a dungeon that is self-aware and breaks the fourth wall and messes with player equipment was hilarious. <laughs> like, the, you're like, oh, you defeated this evil monster. The dungeon rises up in anger and declares that all D8s are D4s now. <laughs> You are no longer allowed to have pencils at the table. I am the dungeon. <laughs> you must all put pineapple on your pizza. The dungeon has spoken. Oh. <laughs> I was like, that's a great idea for a game. Not this game. It's also not a great idea. I like it. I mean, that pineapple thing obviously is masochistic. It should not be included. But the rest of it seems like it'd be good for a little micro game. Dungeon uh, becomes self-aware and re reassigns the dice and changes what numbers are. Yeah, sure. Everyone right. has to speak pig Latin for for, for now. I mean, that'd be fun. <laughs> Terrible for me because I'm historically very bad at it. I am historically awful. Mm -hmm. All right. Back to where we were. We just wrapped up spells. I, I guess we were getting to combat. Combat's boring. Combat is uh, D20. And the dumbest thing about it is... Your to hit is based on your level mm -hmm. uh, in a chart against whoever's dodge chance. Mm -hmm. So uh, they put that at the very end of the book. Yep. And it's not like, ah, yes, it always comes down to, you know, take your level and subtract it from this number and that's what you have to hit. Yeah. So that's annoying. Yeah. Uh, the second dumbest thing about it is that initiative in this game is rolled 2d6 plus uh, agility stat. 
And for whatever reason, it's okay to just hot swap your, your initiative with anyone you want to whenever you want to. So when everyone rolls initiative, you're like, well, I rolled an eight on my initiative and you rolled a two. Why don't you go at eight and I'll go at two? I mean, honestly, I like that. That's I like fine. that if it was a trademark. If it, eh. was a, if it was a power that represented something. If you were just like, my character's super fast, but it's really important that wizards cast fireball at the start of every round. So don't you worry about that. I'll invest heavily in dexterity. You invest heavily in intellect and you'll still always go first. Yeah, it's great. It's weird. Explain it. No. Not you. Book. Oh, okay. Hey, book. <laughs> Explain it. No. <laughs> I cannot. <laughs> and shan't. <laughs> and let's talk morale. I know you want to. I have it literally open on the page in front of me. I knew it was ready. Come on, go ahead. <sighs> okay. So there's all the standard combat things, but this goes back to the old morale bits where it's like, oh, you you aren't supposed to kill all, you know, 30 goblins. You kill like 10 of them and then the rest of them run away. Yeah. And then they set an ambush and rebuild all the traps. Yeah. You know, that's it's classic old school dungeoneering shit. But in this one, it of course is like, okay, every monster has a morale rating mm -hmm. and that is what it needs to roll uh, under in order to not be like sent screaming. Yes. So it can go anywhere from a 12 to a two. Yes. Now, the times at which you roll morale are whenever an event occurs on a little table of bonuses to uh, bonuses and penalties to their morale roll. Yeah. Now, so, all of them are bonuses to their morale roll, except for one penalty. Mm -hmm. uh, bonuses are bad. Yes, because that means they're rolling higher and you want to roll under. Yes. And so you can have things like, oh, if you uh, <laughs> you wound a creature, they have to roll morale. Mm -hmm. So if I manage to hit someone. Then I'm like, hey, buddy, you got to roll. And it's a plus one. So even if you were a 12, you're now at 11. Yeah. Now, most monsters, like a lot of the monsters in this game have really high morale scores to, or they don't roll morale at all, like the undead, to represent that, you know, they're they're pretty like you hit a dragon. It's not going to go running away. No, but uh, in all of them, there's like, oh, if you kill half or more of them or, you know, you wound the leader or you kill the leader, anything like that. It all triggers a morale roll at the start of the next action round. Now, the last two they say are you are outnumbered by your by enemies two to one. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is, oh, no, we, you know, the bad guys are outnumbered. So they have a penalty. They are plus one on their roll and they want to run away. The other one is you are outnumbered by the enemies two to one. That's right. So if, you know, I've got a party of five people. And ten goblins jump out without having any damage occur. Those goblins immediately go, oh shit, we outnumbered these guys two to one. We better get the fuck out of here. They at least have to roll morale. Now that you think to yourself, okay, well, there's 30 goblins here. They're going to have to make a morale roll. We'll, we'll take the, the goblin leader and have him roll morale at a minus one. So he's actually more likely to hit it. But what's a goblin's morale score? Two. A, go oh. a goblin is two. So even with a minus two from you're outnumbered, uh, you outnumber them two to one, you're still like, well, I, I got it. If I roll a five or greater, I'm still fucked. <laughs> and all of these goblins are just like, ha ha, there's 40 of us and three of you. Oh shit, let's leave. Let's run. <laughs> and the trigger for rolling whether or not they should run is simply outnumbering you. So the instant they arrive, they just go, nope, no <laughs> sorry. Goblins have never 
voluntarily got into combat. <laughs> well, goblins in huge numbers. Obviously, if they... Obviously, if, three goblins show up against three dudes and are like, hey, let's do this. Let's do this. That's the one time at which they don't immediately more roll morale is if they don't heavily outnumber or are outnumbered by you. But the moment you land a wound on any one of them, if, any, if you hit any one of them with anything, even if you throw a rock at them, it'll hit them and they'll have to make a morale roll at a plus one, which is to say they have to roll a one on 2d6 and they will immediately flee. No one has ever had a combat with goblins in this game. I love it. Because when I saw the morale part and saw that whole like, if it outnumbers you, then they make the morale. I was like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Immediately went to the monsters and the beginning of the monsters in this are actually like a whole bunch of very powerful ones for yeah, some reason. It starts with a bunch it. of elder gods would have like names and it's shit. It's like, oh, okay, and here's like old dragons and shit like that. And you're like, okay, all these guys have morale ratings that are like 10, 11. Yeah. Sure. All right, great. But then as soon as you get to something like orc, two, goblin, two, I'm like, oh, Oh, okay. <laughs> so no one ever fights them? You can't fight them? If anyone damages them in the slightest, they immediately make morale rolls and bolt? Well, especially because when you look at them in the monster section, it's like, number appearing, 40 to 400. Oh, well, they automatically always roll for this. <laughs> That's why they live in the shitty mountains, is because they're so skittish. Yeah. You just go out there, you're like, hi, goblins, and like, no! Oh, God, there's one of them! Everyone leave! <laughs> we outnumber him! Run for the hills! Oh, no! <laughs> It just makes me exceptionally happy that that's a thing in here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it's not a good, it's too mechanistic. Yeah. Effectively. It, if you're looking for like a solution to what happened there. I mean, honestly, if you took that one out as a trigger yeah. and just had it as a, uh, like a change to the number that was available, that would be fine. But it constantly calls that out as a trigger to make a morale roll. And I think that that is great. I am inclined to agree. Uh, <laughs> it means he has very much accidentally made this a very interesting universe. <laughs> so we're already way over and I've decided I don't care. This is just going to be a really, really long episode because uh, I want to talk a little bit about his the section on scenario design. Mm, yes, um, because it's all just random charts. And for whatever reason, the author was obsessed with random charts that are alphabetic and derived like one letter from each alpha, each letter of the alphabet. Um, this does not work. It, it just, it just doesn't work. Uh, so for example, you'd be like, well, roll special quality for this room. And it'll be like, a, the room is full of acrid smoke. B, the room is full of mysterious bubbles and, you know, and so on and so forth. But then you get towards the end of it and there's never anything good for X. Cause what would you possibly start X with? <laughs> xenophobia. Is that there's xenophobia in this room? What are you fucking to one of the, the G is genocide. <laughs> The G is gold. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought I could have sworn there was genocide on there. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, but no, I mean one of them is questions. There are questions <laughs> in this room. I have questions. Y is just yellow. This room has yellow in it. This is some yellow. And Z is Zowie. It's because they couldn't think of anything. They couldn't be like zebra print or zombies or zinnia flowers or something. No, it's just this room is full of Zowie. Also, there are so many things you could put for N in here mm -hmm. but it is no stone left unturned is in here <laughs> which i guess just means someone already rolled that room i guess and it goes on like this so for each each time you get a scenario it's just another big old chart you can roll on full of an a to z list of things maybe it's a list of people maybe it's a list of something There's what's the element in this room oh i rolled r it's a room there's a room <laughs> in this room, room. A room. yo dog so you can room while you room <laughs> 
Speaking of, ah, yes, my, the great my, temple of exhibit. My favorite, <laughs> my favorite chart in here. The what room is this chart for when you're designing a random dungeon, which is a, a percentile roll. Ah, the chamber type. Yes, and it has things you know, like because uh, it's a percentile roll. There's like a hundred things. So you got all these stuff, all these things like dressing room and audience chamber and the latrine refectory. Uh, the last entry in it is roll roll twice and combine the two results. Which can create some very weird things. Oh, hell yeah. My <laughs> combination st- harem kennel. Your stage latrine. <laughs> like, you got to pee for a crowd, guys. <laughs> uh, your, uh, your kitchen slash unknown. <laughs> your torture chamber bedroom. <laughs> They're all great. They're all wonderful. Unknown is just like I think it's ninety eight or ninety nine on the chart. It's just you don't know what this room is, and you can you can mix it with the other one. Oh, twenty percent of it is unknown because yeah. it's eighty one plus is oh, unknown. That's right, it's unknown. So, so you, you can, can have be, an unknown unknown. Yeah, you can. Have you can room. have known unknowns and unknown unknowns. But you can find a room and you're like, well, this room is half storage area, and you can't figure out what the other half is. <laughs> There's mis- a bunch of boxes over there, but over there, real fucking weird mystery. <laughs> I'm guessing it's just more storage area. It's not. It's a mystery. <laughs> There's some kind of smithy in here yeah. and also a shitter. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. Yeah, it's a combination blacksmith, solid gold toilet room. <laughs> ah, it's a combination hall and great hall. <laughs> Well, they ran out of money halfway through Great yeah. Hall and they had to build a regular hall. It's just this giant Great Hall and then halfway through it just narrows down into a regular <laughs> hall. That fucking room in Wonka's <laughs> building. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, the forced perspective room. The hall slash Great Hall. Damn it, I'm giving this way more credit than it deserves. <laughs> uh, but anyway, that's scenario design. It's just roll a bunch of random charts and draw one of those old school graph paper maps. And then there's an adventure, and the adventure is just a bunch of bullshit DM puzzles. It's all just like you encounter a water elemental. If every player in the group offers him a drink, he will tell you secret wisdoms. Secret wisdom. Can I, can I roll lore on that or anything? No, that would be character skill. You must roll player skill. Uh, which is to say, you must just know this shit. And if you don't, punishments. Ah, punishments. <laughs> I shall bring forth my paddle. <laughs> And now, the many spankings. <laughs> the many and exotic spankings of the princess. All right. Uh, anything else you want to talk about? Not really. All the equipment is, you know, just oh, that's basic right. shit. It's plus ones, plus twos. Yeah, there's a whole huge magic item section. Obviously, the book does the pretty classic heartbreaker thing of saying, like, one of the things I hate about Dungeons and Dragons, good sir, is that there's plus one swords. They have no history. Who cares? All magic items should have a, a They're evocative. They're all unique. Yeah, they should have evocative, unique histories. Most of them should probably be cursed. Anyway, you can roll a plus one sword on here. Yeah. Now, it's supposed to be that, yes, there's still plus one swords, but you're supposed to be like, if you look along the length, demons can be seen screaming in the metal, and it sings when you swing it, and it's made of jeweled chalcedony. <laughs> you know, that kind of shit. But you it's know. still just a fucking plus one sword. It, it, it's just like... He he looked at the D&D treasure table and was like, the thing this is missing is over purple descriptions. And you're like, no, D&D has those. If you read the whole treasure section, you'd see a, a little paragraph in there about how don't just tell the players they got a plus one sword. Tell them it's a cool thing called like Foe Slayer or something. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. You picked up Fuck Hammer. Yeah. <laughs> it's a hammer plus two. Yeah. And this book, 
obviously because it's a heartbreaker game, leans in on the curses. There's a way higher chance. A lot of things, one in four, it's cursed. Oh, yeah. Uh, sometimes one in two, it's cursed. Um, sometimes it's cursed, like for all the named unique items that the book provides, and there's plenty of them. It'll say it's cursed and it's not. Well, there's one called the Sword of Mint of like endless winters or something that the whole description about is about how it bears terrible curses and the whole mechanics is it's a plus two sword that does ice damage yeah it's like oh it's renowned among the barbarian tribes and it brings a terrible winter and you're like does it no it's just just plus one and you can do cold damage (laughs) okay also you're immune to cold damage while you have it so that's nice that's good good for you i guess great is there any curse no 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 (laughs) then how can we describe curses so many times in the description I, I ran out of shit to say at the last sword. <laughs> Look, I don't care. <laughs> Here's the thing. Even I don't care. <laughs> I wrote this and I wanted to pretend I gave a shit about curses, but I don't. Now, we have a slight difference. We have the PDF and physical versions of this book, and there is a very slight difference in the treasure section between the two. I read the PDF version, and one of my favorite tables in here is the miscellaneous magical item random roll table, which has two entries in it, bag of holding, and other, we will publish a different book with the rest of this. Yeah, you gotta <laughs> love the, here's miscellaneous items. I only had one in mind. And you're like, then why make it its own chart? Why append? Why not just append it to another table or something? No, there's a chart in here. You roll a D2, and you either get a bag of holding or another treasure to be or derived Or the ability later. to go get a different book. And if you get the other book, you know it's going to provide a different table, so why did you make this a table? Yeah. In the actual written book, it's that or a holy symbol and not even like holy symbol go roll on the holy symbol table to see if you get a plus one or whatever it's just like you found a mundane holy symbol or a bag of holding you have a 50 50 chance of either getting one of the most fantastically useful items in the game or hey you found a cross (laughs) sadly you're not a christian so that's this is useless to you and in fact you lose your spells for even touching it (laughs) the book implies uh you merely infer. Oh, also, this is, you know, just to throw this out there, one of those games where when you level up, you can't just level up. You have to go find a teacher. Yeah. Uh, there were certain aspects of that I liked, uh, notably that when you, you uh, get your skills at the start of the game, it says pick three of the skills you get, and most classes get three skills. Only Rogue gets more, or Thief. Uh, you, but you're supposed to pick three of the skills, so in three cl- cases, all of them, and write a story about the mentor who taught you the skill and the method in which you learned it, and it's just there for, like, character establishment. Just to be like, hey, this is this is some character development. You, you learned this shit from this. Yeah, back in the day, I learned how to move silently from, you know, this guy, this guy. who was like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I learned uh, how to move silently from this silent but deadly dude I encountered. <laughs> Uh, but no, it, yes, it, Fartrell, <laughs> Fartrell Cluggins, silent, but deadly. <laughs> but um, where was I? I was going to say, I, I appreciated that aspect. And the thing, the reason I'm connecting it to it is because it says like, whenever you learn new stuff in the game, mark down how you learned it and why, and that'll be part of the tapestry that is your character. But yeah, you're supposed to be like, well, you, you gained a level. You, you need to go find the mysterious Dwarven Academy of Dwarf teaching. Yeah. And they'll, they'll help you gain a level. You have to go hunt down whatever the local thieves guild is. So that you can get a level. Yeah. Uh, and part of the back of the book is just a list of those uh, of sample organizations that are like that. They tend to be fairly restrictive. Well, yeah, because there's a list of generic ones where they're just like a thieves guild, a church. Yeah. Some adventuring guild. But then they have very specific ones where they're like, ah, yes, a dwarven 
piety association. That's where, the one where you have to re- renounce your holy spells if you have them, but they only take holy men. They only take dwarves and prefer holy men. That's what it was, yeah. But the first thing you do if you join it is renounce all your spells forever. <laughs> Unless you worship whatever dumb thing they are, they <laughs> worship already. Yeah, and instead you get the legend lore, uh, uh, legend master trademark as as the thing which we already mentioned is basically just what if the lore skill was terrible yeah what if the lore skill failed and you didn't realize gee i wonder who gets access to the lore skill oh right holy men <sighs> hmm. i love it i love everything about it it's great i love that expert orienteer gives you the exact same thing as the second easiest description on the wilderness skill chart which is to know kind of where you are and navigate through <laughs> kind it of, knowing I kind what direction. Know where I am. Because that's all the, the all expert orienteer gave you was like you kind of know where you are and you basically know where north is. Great. It, wherever you are, even if you're in a deep cave, ah, uh-huh. which is I, I guess you, you know what are you gonna, what's it going to tell you? You're in a cave. Hey, that, that's kind of where you are. You're in a cave. You're in a cave, and you're kind of I don't know facing north. I guess north's kind of that way. It's not going to matter because you're in a cave, so you pretty much have the two exits. I'm going to describe <laughs> to you in a second. Yeah, <laughs> directions don't really matter because there's just how the cave go yeah but but you know great and also you won't know what north is because you'll roll on uh, you'll roll a three through six and I'll also you, you don't know what apples is so it's fine <laughs> all right all right let's get it let's get out of here let's do our favorites and work least favorites john let's do it john what's your favorite thing about the secret fire i said it before i like the idea of energy points it's the only thing that this game added to basically just trying to be D&D again, mm-hmm. but like I remember it as a kid. Mm-hmm. It's the only thing that actually was like, oh, you gave some power to the players to decide to do a thing. I can narratively say I knocked down a dude by spending some points and I get to do it. Yeah. Like, it's nice. It's a nice... It, you A player can have some narrative control as a treat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And by the same token, I'm still going to stick to the skill system being being the only thing I really kind of appreciated in this game. Uh, I also kind of like the energy point system. Uh, I'll, I'll take a different tack as to why I like it, though, to help explain it a little better. Uh, because compared to all other D&D systems, this one replaces the skill roll with a roll that has a bell curve. Because uh, you roll a number of D6s equivalent to the difficulty of the skill and compare that against the stat value of uh, the, uh, that's associated with that skill. That means there's a bell curve. That means it's at least moderately predictable. <laughs> Somewhat slightly able to be predicted. It's the first thing I would replace if I was tasked to write like 6th edition D&D is to replace the roll a D20 and add your stat to a skill because it's wildly swingy and deeply stupid. Yes. And replacing it with something as simple as a regular ass pile of D6's skill or a bell curve roll, smart. So at least this game did that. And also, once again, to reinforce it, it's a skill. It's one of the very few times in this game you get to roll any fucking dice and not have someone lie to you about the outcome. Oh, yeah. The two things we like about this are when the player gets to know what's going on and has some amount of control. Yes, that's all it is. <laughs> Okay, that so I feel like it's defensible the skill system for those two reasons and for no other. Fine. All right. All right. What's your least favorite thing? Ooh, let's everything see. else. <laughs> I <I'm>... everything. <laughs> Everyone. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go ahead and say 100. percent It's gotta be the holy man spells. The idea that you're like, what are you? Well, I'm a level one character and I'm just a priest and I've got some spells. Anyway. I've got three I can cast. Two of them might kill me. Like, you're a level one character. Why is this in here? (laughs) Like, it's not even like, oh, yes, you opened a rift and brought forth a great 
demon to do your bidding, but there is a chance it could turn on you here in the mighty end game. Ah, are you uh, so hubris that you could think to control them? You're like, no, I tried to do the easiest fucking bullshit spell, and for some reason it ate my brain. No, (laughs) fuck you, game. Fuck you forever. (laughs) All it does is tell me which spells not to take. Yeah, it's dumb. It's it's absolutely the worst thing about this game. I can't take it, so I'm going to take something different, but it is totally the worst. Stupid, dumb bullshit. Uh, I would also go with... Uh, it, by the I mean, token, the, the holy... other one. Let's the... go ahead and say oh, it's... You go ahead. Tell me your other one. Oh, it's the trademark one. I was going to say, the trademarks are extremely stupid. That was actually the one I was going to pick, uh, and that's fine. I would probably go with the sheer amount of not role-playing this game has in it. Uh, all the times where it's like i will bargain with you and if you do what i the dm tell you i will give you greater rewards than if you do what you would have wanted to do in the first place that's role-playing no it isn't that's fucking that john wick play dirty book (laughs) that can eat every dick in the world yeah i mean i didn't hate it as much because it's just in so many things to be like hey you don't have to do this but i'll give you a thing if you go do whatever yeah and you're like okay i understand Having a character be like, oh, even if you don't take it, being like, oh, my character had to wrestle with a moral quantity or some shit. I'm like, yeah, I understand that. Mm, I can't. I, the reason I can't is because of the setup at the start of the book. <laughs> I, I, It's really important to me. The book needs to the, the book needs to establish. It's like writing an essay. Tell them what you're going to tell them. Tell them it. Tell them what you told them. You remember that shit from when you had to write five paragraph essays in middle school? We all do. Huh? You remember that? Yeah. And in this book, he tells you what you're going to tell you, then he tells you something else entirely, then he keeps telling you other things entirely. <laughs> it would get an F if it was an essay. <laughs> It'd be like, well, you told us at the beginning that this was all about player role-playing skill, and then every single thing in the book strips it from them. Uh, was that your intent? Yes. Yeah, that, that's, <laughs> that was what I wanted. That, that, that weird dissonance is because I'm trying to recreate a phantom nostalgia experience of being a prepubescent boy. I want, I want the experience of back when someone dragged me into a room to play a role-playing game and mm-hmm. I did not know what it was yeah. so that everyone was making roles for me because I didn't know how to do it. And that's what I <laughs> believe is the goal of every role-playing game, mm-hmm. is the experience I had. I miss when cartoons were good. That's what that All the cartoons nowadays, why they all look like Steven Universes. Oh, I God. hate it. I hate, I, hate, I hate how Cal Arts has become a shibboleth. <laughs> You see anything you don't like, you go, uh, Cal Arts. You're like, that isn't even slightly the Cal Arts style. Uh, anything where anyone is slightly stylized is Cal Arts. Did, is anyone remotely rounded? Yeah, Cal Arts. Oh, can you see any tongues? Cal Arts. <laughs> Lol. <laughs> Just get over it. The, maybe cartoons aren't for you anymore, you old f- Twitter fucks. <laughs> Shut the fuck up about that that new Pixar movie. No one gives a shit if everyone looks like beans. It's fine. <laughs> you look like a bean. Be a bean. Who cares? <laughs> they, they all look like beans in the last Pixar movie. I didn't hear you whining then. 10,000 beans. I wonder if the difference is the last one starred two little white boys and this one's an Asian girl. I wonder. Huh? I'm just saying the thing that makes you obviously racist, you dumb shits. Huh? Huh? Sigh. Sigh. Sorry. Way off topic. Daughter pounding on my door. Driving me insane. That's right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so, yeah, my least favorite thing is, I, I mean, I'm 
I don't even know where to go with this. Uh, stripping exp- all the times it strips player character agency away, all the secret information that is just like lie to them, just fucking lie to them. Just let them roll behind it. Give them, tell them they got a cool power, and then just fucking lie to them. <laughs> let them pick something, and then when they use it, fuck them for it. Yeah, don't let them do anything cool. If they do anything cool, take it away. <laughs> Promise them shit if they'll do something stupid instead. I hate it. So, all right, would you play this? Uh, no. Okay. Uh, you know, D&D already exists, and I don't really like that. It's already way better than this, so fuck it. <laughs> uh, okay, I also wouldn't play this. This sucked. <laughs> yeah, it's garbage and bad. <laughs> I mentioned that I was going to be reviewing this to a few people a couple of days ago, and so like, oh, we're doing another one of those games that's vaguely OSR-ish in, in scope and tone, and one of them was a big OSR fan, and he was like, no, no, that one's, I've read that, that's not OSR. That is you. That, you can't pick and choose. That's a weird offshoot. And I was like, dude, if you can recreate, here's the number one rule. This is the one I keep hearing. If you can use this game to play Keep on the Borderlands, the old AD and D version of it, then it's OSR, and you can. It's got the same six stats. It's got the same skills. It's got the same classes. You can do Keep on the Borderlands. Yeah, it's uh, just because it's bad doesn't mean it's not part of you, your thing. You hey, don't. Look. You don't get to cherry pick. I love horror as a genre. Mm-hmm. There are very shitty horror movies. I don't say they're not horror. I just say they <laughs> suck. Take your fucking medicine, OSR people. <laughs> this is on you. Sometimes the thing you like will be handled by someone terrible and they'll make a bad thing. It's okay. Yeah. Don't worry about it. So neither of us would play this and may God have mercy on your souls. Hey, but you know what I would do is mm-hmm. make a character in this. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, we're going to be making our regular old bonus content characters, which, of course, you can find at system or patreon.com slash systemmastery. That's right. Go over there. Give us the bargain basement low end one dollar pledge. You get every single bonus content for System Mastery we've ever done. Even if some of the really, really old ones are hard to find now because Patreon's organizational systems aren't the best, you still get them. They're oh, in yeah. there. You can dig them up. You can go get them. I mean, honestly, the the main issue is RSS feeds eventually just sort of go, yeah, that's enough. Yeah. And don't show you everything, but it's still well, I mean, there. It's even, even hard if you go to Patreon's website itself and try and dig for the really old episodes. It can be hard to find them. I get it. I'm trying to come up with a solution. I've even emailed Patreon to, to help. Anyway, it's still worth it. For the dollar level, you get so much bonus content. So much. And there's more to be gotten at the 2 and $5 levels. You get so many bonus things just for joining us and helping us do this. That's right. You get bonus content. You get more stuff to listen to. You get stuff for our Discord. Hey, you can do whatever you want. You want to follow us on uh, Twitter? We're at System Mastery, and I'm at Gurgle Spasm. Yeah, follow us on Twitter. We can use some more Twitter followers. I only ever get them when I dunk on uh, D&D. Yeah, I don't ever get them because I don't dunk on D&D. D&D. I just say dumb shit. Yeah, you just, that, that's the way you do it. You just go like... Uh, that's get, the way you do hey, it. Hey, guys, did you know that D&D, maybe not great. 17 new followers, 7,000 likes. Hell yeah. <laughs> that's how you do it. Whereas do- I'm over here giving the people gold, just and everyone's content. like two likes. Yeah, don't care. <laughs> I did that dunk on poor Ray Winninger just the other day. Poor Ray. I don't. I don't really know anything about him. If you fo- if you saw that tweet, it's not a dunk on Ray Winninger's history, but on D and D's history. <laughs> That's right. The only thing I've ever read of his is underground, and it was forgettable. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, go to our Patreon. Support us. We love you. <laughs> we all love you mm-hmm. very deeply. Mm-hmm. It's a very real kind of love. You see, the love of a system mastery is different <laughs> from that of a square. You there, bro? What's today? <laughs> today why it's leg day i didn't miss it yeah that's the kind of gold i spit on my twitter account. that's why you've been fading out on me is because you were looking up your own fucking tweets no 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you and good night.